Tooth and Claw. Issue 10.1, England, present day. It was a five hour train ride to trenched lines from Lincoln. Drake and Ross started off going over their notes, but soon fell into an idle staring through the scuffed windows, the muddied gray of the English countryside slipping past as they tracked south. It was mid-afternoon when they arrived at the base. The skies had cleared a little, shafts of sunlight like huge arrows quivering into the ground, the shifting cumulus above making them flutter in and out, dappling the low green fields and sparkling off clumps of aging silver trees. They showed their ID to the sentry and passed through the heavy security door. A short walk to the escalator, long and steep, sliding down into darkened space. Automatic strip lights flickered into action above them as they descended, each illuminating a fraction of the large tunnel, just enough to orient themselves and to maintain balance. At the bottom of the escalator, a small, low-ceiling platform ran parallel to two railway tracks. A dark tunnel stretched off in either direction. A low rumble from the left signalled the approach of something. A single carriage rolled in and slowed to a halt in front of them. There was no driver. They boarded wearily. Ross pressed a large green button, the doors slid closed, and the carriage jolted forward into the tunnel. Ten minutes later, they stopped at the circle entrance, a larger platform this time, made of thick mesh steel suspended in a wide cavern. Huge girders shot up from it, attached to a massive concrete tube that circled out into the dark distance. Ross turned to Drake as they approached another security door. Humphrey will send us straight back out. I'm not so sure, Drake replied, typing a nine-digit code into the pad by the door. It beeped twice and the heavy shutters lifted as thick metal plate behind slid back to let them in. They stepped down onto the main circular concourse and walked across the large double doors that led to the central operations room. Abigail Hunt opened the doors just before they got there. Agent Drake, Agent Ross, good to have you back. How was your little trip? She stepped aside to let them in and closed the doors behind them. Drake had to raise his voice over the chatter of voices and buzz of phones to reply. Illuminating. Lincoln's a bit grim, Miss Hunt. Not an ideal weekend getaway, Ross ventured. The keeper of the circle intimidated him a little. She was always courteous, but there was a briskness to her actions. You'd call it condescending, thought Ross, if she didn't achieve it with such radiance. As facilitator and manager of the circle, no single thing was ever of utmost importance, so every single thing was treated with a calm assurance. As if I ever have a chance for a weekend anything, Agent Ross, she laughed dryly, her green eyes flashing as she walked ahead of them towards her desk in the centre of the open room. She sat in a high-backed red leather chair and swiveled round to face them. Drake smiled sweetly at her, nodding towards a bunch of hyacinths arrayed in a tall vase on her desk. Those flowers match your dress perfectly, Miss Hunt. She smiled back, instinctively flicking a curl of hay-coloured hair from her face with a well-manicured fingernail. The curl nestled against her slender neck. Did we miss much? Drake moved on. She shook her head. Not really. Archie's on a bit of a rampage. Incident in Maui last night. Drake frowned. The mongrels? I don't know, she replied, leafing absently through some papers on her desk. Honolulu branches liaising with New York and they're talking directly to Archie. It's put him in a hell of a mood. Ross nervously surveyed the room. 
There were maybe 30 people in all at desks, clacking away at keyboards or talking rapidly through headsets. No Archie to be seen. Ross definitely felt intimidated by the deputy director. Archibald Thompson effectively ran the whole of the order. Humphrey was the director and decided general policy, but Archie implemented everything and ensured it was carried out. He did this with righteous fury and constant admonishment, nothing ever quick enough, good enough. At some point, everyone in the circle had felt the lash of his thick Glaswegian accent, booming out an accusation of terminal incompetence in front of the whole office. A collective sympathy had grown. His wrath was indiscriminate. This should be an enjoyable debrief then, Drake said. Though I really do need to see Humphrey. You're to go straight to him, both of you, Miss Hunt replied. The director wanted to be informed as soon as you got in. At least we avoid Archie, Ross said happily. Miss Hunt tutted. Count your blessings. The office of the director of the Order of St George was another circular room, around 40 feet in diameter. The far curve of the wall was lined top to bottom with heaving bookcases. A large oak desk, a dark armchair behind it. An array of fountain pens and ink pots jostled next to a computer and phone, a bottle of scotch and a penknife. The room was warm and the light a subtle golden glow coming from various shaded lamps strewn around. The smell of leather and dust and whiskey mingled in the air and cast a thick haze into the atmosphere. Come in, gentlemen, came a voice from under the desk. Drake and Ross walked to the centre of the room, passing a beaten chaise long and a small table with a portable television set on it. The director's head popped up from behind the desk, followed by a hand holding an apple. Drop the thing, he said in an amused annoyance. He was well-spoken. There seemed a thread of frivolity to his cadence. Charles Humphrey wore his early 60s harder than his late 50s. His hair was thinning and his face displayed more relief than the pronounced laughter lines that had burst out ten years earlier. Still, he carried himself sprightly enough. He placed the apple on the desk next to the penknife and dusted himself off. Take a seat, gentlemen, he offered as he did so himself. So how was it, other than what you told me on the phone? Drake eased into his chair and scratched the back of his head. The facts you know, but it's the details. Duckstone wasn't happy about the Ardellian boys encroaching on his turf, especially the gangmaster racket with the migrant workers. So he had one of them killed, Humphrey said. That was the initial call-out. Yes, Drake continued, but it was the way it was done. He did it himself. He let the words sink in, then looked at Ross. When I got the call, I thought it was going to be another murder-arson incident, but when Agent Drake and I arrived at the scene, we noticed the burn pattern was remarkably specific. Also, the man's head had been caved in by a large rock. Humphrey leaned forward in his chair. The Drake Stone, or Duck Stone, as it's often called. Ross nodded. Humphrey leaned back again and arched his fingers over his chest. It was a message, an overt display, Drake said gravely. Not only did he do it himself, he left his marker though that ended up proving useful. Humphrey glanced at Ross, then back at Drake. He raised his eyebrows at Drake with a question. Ross felt something pass between his superiors. His temperature rose a little. Humphrey tipped his head to the side with a slight smile. Go on. We traced his son, Clive Duckstone. Had a little word, managed to find Daddy. Drake lowered his voice now. He blew flames, Charles. In front of me and Ross, he blew flames and laughed at us even told us about the worm. Yes, Humphrey said, a most unfortunate development. Drake grew more animated. 
This is what I mean. It is a development. The worm taking that hit in the first place and doing it in dragon form. Duckstone being so brazen. Could be an isolated coincidence. Could be something else. Humphrey began to stroke his moustache. What's this business in Maui, Drake went on. The mongrels playing up? It'll be the first time in years. Humphrey continued to stroke his moustache. I've heard nothing about it, he said rather dreamingly. Archie only shoots things up to me when he feels it's necessary. He focused again. And anyway, Robert, the Pihi mongrels are still run by David Boy Kekoa. It's been a long time since you and I were on the North Shore, but Kekoa is reasonable, if it is him in the first place. Drake shrugged. I just don't like the idea of flare-ups from bosses who haven't in years, if that's what this is. Worth keeping an eye on is all. Humphrey nodded enthusiastically. Absolutely, Agent Drake. Passing recognition is half the job here, isn't it? Better to anticipate in a situation like this? Archie's obviously busy at the moment, so report directly to me. We'll bring him up to speed once he's settled down, he chuckled to himself. If he's been dealing with Maui Branch, he'll have been up all night. He's almost breathing fire himself down there. He wrapped his knuckles lightly on the table and straightened his chair once more. So, next move. I think the immediate issue is what the worm does next, Drake answered. The Ardellian boys are finished, so there'll be no reprisals for local police to worry about. DCI Howard thinks Duckstone will settle back into a normal, manageable level of criminality, and I'm inclined to suggest we wait until he's proven wrong. Duckstone's been provoked enough recently, so we give him the benefit for now. It's the worm we need to worry about. He's been in that lair for years. It was covered in charms and spells so humans wouldn't even see it. I had to point it out to Agent Ross. Ross's cheeks reddened. He hadn't noticed the barn when they'd wrecked the area, had he? Drake continued. He's been hidden there, essentially out of harm's way, only emerging from the fens for the occasional hit, and then only in human form. Now his lair is compromised. He knew we were after him in Grantham. I'm not sure how, but he knew, and he turned before he killed them. He made it explicit. Unlike Duckstone, he's got nothing to settle down into anymore. I'd like to catch him before he gives himself away. Humphrey thought for a moment, then, stroking his moustache one final time, he stood up sharply. That's it, then. You two locate and apprehend the worm, or terminate him. I'd rather it were the former, but don't take any chances. Yes, sir, Drake and Ross said in unison. As they stood up to go, Drake turned back to Humphrey. Charles, a word, if I may. Humphrey looked at Ross first, then to Drake. Of course. Ross nodded to both of them. I'll see you in operations, Drake. The light and sound of the ops room was a respite from the darker, stuffier surrounds of Humphrey's office. It was welcoming, much like the man himself, but there was a patina of ambiguity to the corners and nooks where secrets might hide. It put him on edge. Nowhere to hide in operations, though. The vast, open-plan room had Miss Hunt's desk at the centre, and concentric ripples of smaller desks out from there. Clerks and secretaries bustled past, agents chatting with liaison officers, and the buzz of work and concentration, of things being done, filled the room with activity. The bright lights threw an energised aura over the traffic. Ross headed to Miss Hunt's desk. She looked up as he approached. Having one of their chats, are they? Sure are, Miss Hunt. They're both suckers for a bit of mystery, she said erratically. Ross laughed. That they are. Could you get us two tickets back to Lincoln, please, Miss Hunt? Already, she leaned forward in her chair and pressed a button. 
Immediately, a young man carrying a tablet and harried look on his face appeared next to her. Two first-class tickets to Lincoln Station, leaving in... She looked at Ross. He looked back towards the stairs to Humphrey's office. Uh, make it an hour. I'm sure they won't be long. An hour, Miss Hunt said to the man. He ran off, furiously jabbing a finger at his tablet. She turned back to Ross, her voice quietened. How has Agent Drake been, Agent Ross? Ross gave her a puzzled look. How do you mean? She looked down briefly, then back up at him with clear intent. Outside of his usual impetuous, mysterious self, I mean. Recently he seemed, I don't know, preoccupied. Ross said nothing. Not drastically, but it stands out, you know? Everything's water off a duck's back to him, usually. He's been okay, Ross said cautiously. Hell of a case we've just picked up, but if you say he's been like this for a while, I have to say I haven't noticed. Not anything out of the ordinary, at least. Oh, I know, Miss Hunt said agreeably. I suppose I just worry too much. It's my job to keep this place running smoothly after all. She seemed more light-hearted now, but Ross felt something missing. Just keep an eye on him, Agent Ross. I'm sure you do anyway, he smiled at her. I have to, just to keep him from vanishing into midair sometimes, she laughed. Mystery again. Ross jumped as a young lady pushed past him. Her brown hair was cropped and she wore a long, loose summer dress under a buttoned lab coat. Miss Hunt, I need to schedule a meeting with Archie and Matsuyama and his ballistics team. She spoke as quickly as she walked. As app, ideally, though actually I've got a test scheduled with robotics in an hour, so scrap that. I don't know how long that will be. Depends on how well the test goes, I guess. She laughed heartily. Her slight frame heaved back and forth at her own amusement. Miss Hunt cut the woman off with one raised eyebrow. Considering the uncertain nature of the test, Miss Morris, how about I see how quickly I can get the others in a room and I'll let you know as soon as I do. Yes, of course, though it is really important. Matsuyama at least could move his schedule around, maybe. Miss Hunt's voice softened. I'm sure the man-at-arms will make time for the head of research, Miss Morris. The younger woman beamed. I'll keep you posted on the test. Please do, Miss Hunt drawled back. Ross turned to Miss Morris, but before he could speak, the low bellow of Archie's arrival rumbled through the room. Miss Hunt, my office, immediately. The three of them looked up to the open first floor where the directors spent their days. Miss Hunt picked up her bag and headed for the stairs. Wish me luck, she mouthed at Ross and Miss Morris. As she closed the door of Archie's office behind her, the room breathed a sigh of relief and went back to working. She can give as good as she gets, Miss Morris said confidently. Ross laughed. No doubt. You're not too shy yourself, Daphne. She smiled at him, her brown eyes widening above her small round nose. Got to know how to stand up for yourself round here, you know? She made her hands into fists and feigned a couple of straight jabs at him. Ross put up a pathetic guard and laughed with her. Seriously though, Daphne said, Miss Hunt is a tough cookie. Yeah, Ross said, looking back up at Archie's office. Maybe she's a bit softer than we give her credit. Oh yeah? Huh, no. She was just asking after Agent Drake is all. Mm-hmm, you are clueless, Eric Ross. What? She cuffed him lightly on the elbow. Miss Hunt and Agent Drake. Click. Really? Those two? Uh-huh. Well, used to at least, don't know about now. Ha! Huh. I wouldn't have guessed he had it in him. Come on, Daphne sighed. She's stunning and he's, well, he's Agent Robert Drake. Ross laughed again. Fair enough. He doesn't give anything away, does he? Neither does she, Ross frowned. Yeah, I don't think it was that kind of concern. She half had her work hat on. 
Well, Daphne said impatiently, there's been a lot going on recently. They're both adults. Let them do it, I say. Now, where did I put my thermometer? It's in your coat pocket, Ross said. He reached to take it and his hand accidentally brushed her breast. She flinched, then glanced quickly round the room before giving him a coy smile. That's very forward, Agent Ross, considering you wouldn't even let me sneak a kiss behind the archives when no one's looking. She stepped closer. Ross stepped back and held his hands up with a smile. Daphne, I told you, not in the operations room. She pouted. Come and see me in the lab later on then. I can probably keep the conference room free. The same conference room where you just booked a meeting? Oh, damn it! For the smartest person in here, you sure are a dummy sometimes. She moved to square up to him again, the pout flashing into a frown. Hey, hey, joking! Ross lowered his voice. Anyway, me and Drake are straight back off to Lincoln in an hour. What? You only just got back. I know, I know. I don't like it any more than you do. Daphne looked over his shoulder. He does, I bet. Ross turned and saw Drake descending the stairs. He prefers being out there more than being back home, Daphne continued. Yeah, but this isn't really home, is it, Ross said. Before she could reply, he leant in and quickly kissed her cheek. She blushed. I'll be back as soon as I can, he whispered. Ross grinned at his partner. You gonna tell me what all that was about then? Or don't I need to know? Drake smiled as they stepped out into the main corridor. Not just yet. Written and recorded by James Fisher. Edited and read by Andy Bennett. Music by Aquifer. <laughs>